coming up in this episode. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, my uh, my business partner lives in London. Mm. I'm in Cardiff. And uh, he said, you know what? Whenever I'm renting an apartment, if my landlord would ask me to dance naked in front of their building at 11 p.m. in the night, I would do that. Mm. Because if I really, really want that apartment, that's it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to go to someone else. Yeah. Exactly. There's not really any mystical skill to sales. Yes, you can go and learn sales frameworks, and there's a ton of literature on the psychology of sales and all this sort of stuff. I've read all of those books, and I know all about them. But ultimately, I just throw them out the window because what is important is it's about excellent communication skills. That's all it comes down to, the art of communication. A lot of founders are finding themselves struggling to actually put up that first step. I need 500k in funding to actually build an app. So why do you need an app? Let's, let's try to get three steps before that app that you want to build. Yeah. To put up a website is a 50 pounds, 100 pounds type of effort. Put it there, put something, validate your solution first. The Founders Unplugged podcast, hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, unedited conversations with entrepreneurs and startup founders. Hi, Greg. Hi, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Sorry, let me just close the door. The virtual door or not? That was a real door I just closed. I just, I've never used one of these filters before in, in these conversations, but I was just a bit early and I was just playing around with them. I was like, you know what? I feel like a mad scientist today. I'm going to use one of these. <laughs> like it, it looks very nice. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my, for it. my bot has joined. We don't want the bot to join. Let's yes. go away. And nowadays we, I started seeing lots of bots like this, which uh, frankly are, uh, I found them quite useful in terms of transcribing oh, yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, the only thing in um, sometimes they auto join and especially in uh, business development type of calls where you where you get in a call, you just met the, the person or you agree to have a call and then suddenly the bot is there and say, okay, I'm being recorded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, exactly. I, I knew that this conversation will be recorded. So yeah, feel free yeah. to, to leave it there. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. I use them all the time. I, I use that particular one assembly. I'm always recommending assembly. It's by far the best because I've tried all of them like literally all of them and they just didn't quite do what i wanted them to do but this one's really good because it, it not only transcribes it and records it and everything but it also ha um, creates like a summary with bullet points and then it also links to my task app so it will listen for tasks and then it will add them to my task app so if i've said like oh i need you to email that to me by tomorrow and then i'll get that to you by wednesday it will assign the task to them and assign the task to me. It's brilliant. Wow. Um, <laughs> the only problem is it does mean my task app is very, very full. <laughs> uh, you know how yeah. it is. You can always dismiss a task. <laughs> well, that's it. And that's what I spend the majority of my time doing is ignoring my tasks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, how are things with you? All good, all good. Uh, back from uh, from quite an extended um, period of working from uh, anywhere, yeah. Um, and yeah, right now back to back in back in business, and uh, the the kids are back in school. You know, the the business as usual. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, back, it feels like back in the rain. Also, last week when we came back, uh, 
it was quite uh, quite sunny and uh, yeah we've seen the the crazy <laughs> temperatures over the weekend so uh, it's nuts, isn't yeah. It? yeah but it's definitely starting to cool down now you were in um you were abroad i can't remember where you were when i when we first spoke you were abroad so was it yeah. for a wedding or something no fundamentally i spent the summer uh, in italy Right. uh part in uh, in tuscany and part in uh, in ancona we we've tried it uh, last year and we we totally loved it yeah. uh fundamentally over the kids vacation which is six weeks we rent an uh, airbnb apartment where we get quite good deals for an extended uh, period of time and it's not like in a hotel i wouldn't be able to <laughs> to live for like six weeks in a hotel yeah um the beauty also we can uh, we can get some uh, some guests and this is this is very interesting to to get together with friends and actually uh, you know spend three four five days together um mm. especially in uh, in a nice country so uh yeah what's uh what's not to love about it's <laughs> yeah, a great idea and other people can come and visit and yeah it's brilliant it's a brilliant mm. idea and that's the wonderful thing about like th this working from home change you know for a lot of people the only thing that makes me a bit sad is thinking about the fact that um like we're so privileged to be able to do that do you know what i mean like it's it's everyone's always talking about this discussion about oh you know working from home working from home. everyone should work from home it's like yeah but the vast majority of the public of, of people do not have that option they work in factories they work on buses and in trains and in shops it's like we're privileged guys don't forget it <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> indeed indeed yeah. that's uh that's, people, that's very people well seem to forget that. <laughs> and it's probably the, the first time when i actually realized that this society is uh, repaying if you want a little bit uh, not fair yeah. the the individuals and in different uh, different working groups is uh march 2020 when the whole covid stroke and then you realize that okay if i don't have somebody to actually deliver the food on my door then that's it in yeah, three exactly. five two weeks whatever i'll be dead yeah. um and then you realize that yes we are um i mean and usually and unfortunately those uh, those working groups are paid probably the the lowest in the society and you get truck drivers you get everybody in in that aspect not to mention nurses not to mention nhs yeah, exactly. where frankly i mean can you imagine being an nhs staff during that time i mean i was indoor and i'm not overly scared and i haven't been overly worried about the whole covid mm -hmm. but it was sort of okay i'm doing whatever the government is saying saying to do and i'm doing my own things and okay i will i will get past to it but then if I need to actually be in a hospital and dealing with people day in, day out, mm. oh my goodness, I have yeah. no idea how they, they actually were able to, to put up with this. So it was remarkable. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. people, you know, who were like ex, ex NHS workers being called up and stuff. You know, I know a few people who, you know, quit the NHS years ago to open private practice and so on. And of course, their businesses closed down. They weren't able to function. And then they were got the call. We need you. We need you to come back in. And it's like, shit okay you know there you go yeah it was an interesting yeah. time but listen it's great to have you on thank you so much as you've already seen we've already side recorded we just go straight into it yeah. <laughs> I'm just, and then straight away start talking that's how i do it um but i do have uh, one little bit of structure in this um which is it would be great if for those listening or watching you could introduce yourself and maybe introduce a bit about your business and then we can carry on talking but it's just a bit of a formality would you mind perfect 
Yeah, so um, again, I'm, I'm Adrian Deft. Um, um, I'm originally from Romania, so that's the, the funny accent. Um, <laughs> I spent probably, what, 10 years in my professional life in, uh, in software development, project management, that type of thing. So in, in a company, I always was earning my bread with my PC. It's very, very simple. <laughs> Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, I can see that you are uh, looking to my uh, <laughs> to my profile. Um, uh, indeed, so the, the first ten years in Romania. Then, uh, twenty thirteen, decided to take a career break. Uh, came here in the UK to study for an MBA, um, and I used that MBA to transition uh, into the the financial sector uh, here in the UK. Um, I'm based in Cardiff, married two kids, two, two beautiful daughters, five and seven, going to, to school, as, uh, as I mentioned. Um, and two years ago, roughly two years ago, I decided to start my, my own company called Prove It. Um, fundamentally, that, that was the first time when I realized that um, actually even people that are, if you want in their mid-careers, decent earners, have some decent life, if you want, can struggle with basic things. To put things more, more in perspective, um, again, 2013, decided to come here, started the MBA program, came with like three, four days before just to try to find an accommodation. <laughs> and I've uh, stayed in a hotel and said, okay, let me get a hotel for a week or something, and then during this time to actually get something to rent. And then it hit me because nobody wanted to rent me anything. Why? Very simple, because they didn't know me financially. They had no idea who am I. Also, back in Romania, I own my own apartment. I already paid my mortgage there. So if they are bothering to actually look at that, I say, no, this guy actually at least paid its rent, paid, uh, paid its mortgage and, and everything. Had lots of financial products and, and everything. But because here in, in the UK, it didn't have any credit score at all. Um, then, of course, uh, nobody knew me. And everybody says, sorry, OK, we, we don't know you. We cannot rent you because you fail your tenants, um, tenant referencing checks. Um, and then that struck me because I was kind of, you know, OK, my program was about to start. It was one year program. So I was back in school for one year full time education. Uh, I needed an accommodation. There is no way in hell for me to actually spend one year in a hotel. Mm -hmm. Costs, you know, then there is no way to to spend that time in a hotel. Um, and I said, OK, what the heck do I do? And of course, I was quite uh, lucky because the way that I've solved it is the way that most of people are solving it. I rented somebody on, under somebody's else umbrella. So one of my colleagues in, in the MBA, um, he already been here for whatever number of years before he knew and he had a credit score. And it's okay, let's uh, both of us find a two bedroom apartment and then probably that's perfect for us. And then, yeah, luckily, we just met. So Im imagine like this. My program was about to start. I never met this guy before. We met in a coffee shop. We hands shake, uh, shake, uh, shook hands and then says, okay, let's uh, live together for the next one year. <laughs> <laughs> um, and bear in mind that I never uh, lived with anybody else, of course, a part of my wife. Mm. Uh, and my parents back then. <laughs> but um, yeah. that was, I, I never had a flatmate or a, a roommate or anything like this. Mm. So um, for me, it was a bit of a, and 
the guy, a brilliant guy, and we, we are still friends to this day. Uh, so happy ending. But that happy ending, frankly, could have gone completely wrong. If yeah, of course. You, you got lucky. Yeah, I, I got very lucky because <laughs> can you imagine again meeting somebody in the coffee shop? Is okay. Let's spend one year together yeah. in the same apartment. Um, and the life of an MBA student is not exactly easy in terms of you need to put a lot of effort. It's stressful. You are away of your family, friends, anything you name it. It's, it's kind of military style where pretty much you you cut off all the communication and it's like no <laughs> head down and and let's start it. So yeah, this is the, um, the 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 first things that I've encountered here. And says, okay, just because I decided to change countries right now, anyway, that comes with a lot of um, of problems. Um, right now, I have many other problems that I never thought about. Uh, again, mentioning about uh, renting an apartment, but then even the most basic stuff. I mean, I remember back then I I had an iPhone. I don't know, three, four, whatever, this kind of very old um, iPhone. Mm. Um, and then it kind of worked, but not so not so great. I said, okay, let me try to, to change it. Let me get a mobile phone contract. Hmm. Mm. Again, go there, go in the shop. The guy says, sorry, you fail your credit score checks. Sorry, we, we don't know you. We don't have any credit score here. Mm. We can give you this very nice uh, SIM card, prepaid SIM card, where you put some money on it and then you spend it. And again, all my life, I had a mobile phone contract. And then nowadays, I need to have a prepaid card, which uh, that then thing actually was constantly running out of uh, internet or, or whatever. And I was in the middle of something, trying to upload my papers, my my whatever. And then it says, sorry, run out of battery, run out of, of, um, of uh, data. You need to, to top up. And I needed to call in Vodafone IVR and then do whatever there. So yeah, this is the the, the kind of problems that, that I've encountered then. Um, and also you get a high car insurance premium and many, many other things that fundamentally you cannot do pretty much anything about it. Mm. Um, and this is why I said, okay, let's, uh, let's do something because 10 years ago, frankly, you couldn't do a lot of things that actually right now you can do. Right yeah. now, especially in Europe, including UK, uh, you can get this kind of data portability, not only inside the country, but between countries. Mm. So, and it's it's very easy for the user. It's just some clicks there. So it's not a very big process there. Um, and for the companies also, they get whatever data that they need there. And of course, with the user permission, to understand, okay, this is Adrian, and yes, on average, maybe people without credit score, they are a bad risk for whatever you want, service you want to provide them. Uh, but still, let's look in, into their profiles because, okay, look like this. Adrian is 35 years old, married, owns some properties, use financial products, anything. He must be a better risk than the average. I don't know. Of course, he's not like for like with the UK. He's transitioning right now in the UK. You cannot just say, okay, uh, this score in in Romania will equivalent to that score in, in the UK, but still needs to be a little bit of differentiation there. And mm-hmm. um, there are, I mean, um, for better or worse, we, we voted uh, exit, uh, whatever, Brexit. Um, but still, there are 1.2 million people coming to the UK. I mean, last year, there were 1.2 million coming to the UK. Probably that was not the, the intended consequence of the Brexit, but it is the reality. Um, and that, I 
there are lots of papers saying that that will not be sort of okay dying off or, or anything people coming to the uk then the number of people coming to the uk are growing um even uh, even worldwide we are talking about 300 million people that are not living in their own country so this is i said not okay it's not just me it's not just me and uh, dealing with whatever problems let me try to to solve this this is why we we started this again we it's a relatively small company we, we, i mean it is a small company we are two co-founders and um and two to take is in the team uh developing a, a platform there and uh getting uh, more and more customers to it and more and more companies to say okay yeah i can i can do a differentiation there <laughs> it's a brilliant idea and you know it's not the first time i've spoken to people who've had these issues it's um you know over the years i you know growing up i um I, i've told this story a couple of times growing up I, uh, in oxford um we always had foreign students living with us so people from different countries living with us um and th they would talk about these problems all the time but my family would help them with those things because obviously we were used to it but it was still very complicated and it would depend which country you were from too you know and how complicated that would get so so yeah it's a huge problem um is is um is this something that you're a, a solution that you're implementing worldwide so people worldwide can can uh, can take advantage of of this sort of international credit school to a degree or is it just focusing on specific countries first so the grand vision of course will be to to eventually be worldwide right uh right now we focus purely on europeans coming to the uk Mm. um why relatively simple because at european level there is a directive called open banking which mm. allows this data portability and allows all the infrastructure and everything because otherwise i mean right now we are connected with 3000 plus banks for us to actually be able to put a credit score in on you in romania in france in wherever in europe we need access to your data and that access to your data it is of course in the controlled manner it's in a in, in a proper proper way and this is why europeans actually got together and said guys let's create this mechanism and they've in 2016 they wanted to i mean they they mandated the banks to create the mechanism and then right now most of the banks are are on board with this so this is why for now it is only europe However, uh, what Europeans did is not only uh, in, in Europe. So it is a, a huge international trend called open data. Um, a similar exercise was started in US 2013 by mm. the industry. So not by the regulator, less in right. Europe, by, by the industry. They, they wanted to say, you know what? let's open up the books let's open up the data um then you get australia you get india um in it um so there are quite a lot of countries internationals into into this of course various countries has various ways of accessing this data but the principle it's exactly the same but right now again as a as a small startup we want to focus purely on europeans coming to to the uk and as you and as you said has it become has this problem become more difficult since brexit um, is there less exchange of information or was it always a problem regardless of Brexit, do you think? I don't think that Brexit influenced this. Okay. In a sense and in, in a very weird way, most of European countries, whenever they are providing you a paper, whatever is that paper and it's an official paper, most of European countries provide you the, in, in the whatever language, national language, but also in, uh, in English. <laughs> mm. 
weirdly enough, as we, as we all know, uh, there is no uh, English-speaking country in uh, European Union right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not officially. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the official language is uh, is English. So from that perspective, and that I don't think that will change. I don't see overnight says okay, the official language is I don't know. Uh, French or uh, German or whatever. It, mm. There is no way to do that. Yeah. So um, this is why the access to data, luckily, UK, it's anyway, they want to do the, the, the same things. And they've been kind of leading the whole Europe in terms of data access. Um, and Europe, it's, it's it's following quite close there. So no, I, I haven't seen any any problems. And with GDPR and data portability, UK it's still into lots of treaties and everything. So from the data perspective and GDPR, as long as you are in Europe plus UK, you are okay. It's not yeah. A yeah, that's fantastic. And what about um, customers or people using the platform? Like, you know, are you at that stage yet where people are, are starting to use it? And and if so, sort of what does that look like? How many have you got and, and where, where are they based? So um, we started on two fronts because first, if we want to be the experts of putting a credit score on any European, then uh, we better start in uh, Europe somewhere and then have some services there. Yeah. That was our first thought. And this is why we launched in Romania um, a, servers, uh, a service for uh, tenants' reference. Right. And a little bit about Romania and why it's relevant for the whole Europe. Um, believe it or not, in Romania, you can just show up there with your government-issued ID and its photo and everything, so it's an official document. Mm. And you go to your landlord and says, hey, I'm Adrian, this is my ID, and trust me that I will be paying your rent. Mm. And the landlord, for whatever reason, says, okay, I can trust you and your blue eyes, I don't know, because they have zero data on me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> When, when I turn up there, the landlord actually has like zero data, no referencing checks, no reference from the previous landlord. There is no way of doing that. Of course, if they ask and if I, I'm okay and if I provide whatever contact from the ex-landlord, they might do, but good luck of uh, deciding if that's my ex-landlord or is my friend or whatever mm -hmm. <laughs> and so on. So this is why fundamentally the way that the, the renting market is, is working in Romania, it's based on trust. Right. <laughs> Just to show up there. Gentleman's you, agreement. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. yeah. You, you can say like this. There yeah. are uh, official contracts. There are some unofficial contracts also, but a lot of them are, are official contracts. So from the from the legal perspective, they are they are okay. Mm. But in terms of tenants referencing, there is nothing there. So we launched the service, a very simple service for tenants referencing. So fundamentally what we do, you come there and you, you allow us to, to put a score in, on you as a tenant. We communicate the score with you as a tenant and also as a landlord. And then we put a little bit more transparency into that, uh, that relation, a little bit more trust. Um, and we've tried to, to find the route to market there. Um, and um, this, uh, I mean, initially we've uh, agreed with the, the Zupla of Romania to, to promote this and they say, okay, let us uh, run some, some user uh, research, some, some everything, and that it's still progressing. The only way, the only thing is that um, because the, the tenants 
or the, the lettings market in Romania is so small. It's only 4% of people actually are renting. 96% are living in their own houses, believe it or oh, not. Oh, really? Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. extremely high. It is extremely high. That's, that talks about uh, the mentality and also some mm. historical reasons. Um, that is the, the, the rental market. It's, it's, it's very small. Uh, so this is why the Zupla of Romania, they're focusing on the buying and selling rather than on the renting. Mm. And it takes a little bit more time that uh, initially they um, they plan. We still, they, they still uh, said, you know what, by the end of this year, we should have a journey where we'll promote your product. But in the meantime, we wanted to, to do whatever it, uh, what we can do. Mm. And we start discussing with property management companies. And those guys says, you know what? we want your product and we we need your product like air <laughs> and thinking like this is um is the, the obvious thing because the the property management company their long-term relation is with the landlord is not with the tenant yeah. and if they they screw there if they 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 put a bad tenant into the the doesn't matter why and how of course the landlord will not be very happy and probably the landlord will switch the the property management agency um so this is why they say yes let's let's go on board and um right now this is our primary route to markets to the the property management companies and then um again hopefully the zupla of romania so the number two website in terms of the real estate website in, in romania hopefully they will they will promote it and that is the, the the scale but even even right now we have tens of um of tenants actually generating the the, the score and it's you know how it is, especially for uh, for a young startup venturing in this kind of completely new territories. Um, we are very pleased with the the performance there. We are very pleased with, with the experience, and yes, it creates a little bit of uh, a friction between the landlord and the the tenant. But still, it's uh, it's it's one of those things. If you really really want that property, by all means, you need to to create your uh, your score. <laughs> and what and what's that score based on? Fundamentally, the the score is based on 24 months uh, of worth of your bank transactions. So imagine that we have access to your bank statements for 24 months. Mm -hmm. Based on this, we understand your income, the frequency of income, the level of income, and then we understand the outgoings. Again, the frequency of your monthly outgoings and also the um, the level of uh, of it um and then we share and, and this is the, the the beauty i mean when when you give us the permission to look into your account we have thousands of transactions there mm -hmm. but we share something very simple we share something very high level saying you know what uh you've been paying regularly your bills you have a regular income well done you are a green tenant right. or you know what your income, it's now and then, and you kind of pay your bills, but sometimes you skip some of the bills. Um, then you are an orange if you're a tenant, or you know what, you have zero income and you don't pay your bills. Either you didn't link your main account. <laughs> it might be the case that you linked whatever accounts it is that you might have there for whatever, mm -hmm. um, or actually you are not uh, a good tenant there. And that's a red flag for the landlord. Then of course, it's up to the landlord. If they want to sign the contract with you or not, we, we just provide the information. In There's it. like a traffic light system, essentially. Yes, indeed. Yeah. It's nice uh, and simple, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then based on this and, and this experience, we, um, we, we are close to work with um, companies here in the UK. 
providing services, providing um, loans for thin credit files or bad credit files. Right. So the the main problems that we've seen in that niche, and there are quite a lot of companies, is um, imagine that you've been living in the UK. It doesn't matter. You just came in the UK or you've been here for all your life. For whatever reasons, you are in, in that segment where you actually live off your salary and then it, it's kind of by the end of the month, you don't have any any more money there. Mm. Um, then sometimes, um, let's assume that something like your fridge or your washing machine breaks mm. and you need to replace it. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people actually that cannot afford the 500 pounds unscheduled and unplanned and that segment is growing and growing with this the the cost of living that that we we seen right now and a lot of them and i didn't know this before i was looking and, and getting closer with, with the companies there um a lot of those people unfortunately they don't have many options mm-hmm. of course the first option would be banks but banks will never agree to get a loan to either a bad credit file, either somebody having a very thin credit file. Maybe they just came here. Um, so fundamentally, their the their only option is getting to the loan sharks. Uh, and I understand that that phenomenon is quite well spread. It and, and it's quite. And this is why there are companies, ethical lenders, that actually want to to solve this problem. Mm. And they are conscious, and we, we, we had quite frank discussions, says, you know what, in my book, I am conscious that 15% to 20% of people will never pay me back. Mm. And that is the kind of, it's not fraud, or it might be fraud or whatever. It's, it's this kind of error rate, if you want, where mm-hmm. I'm giving you 500 pounds or 700 pounds, and I know that I'll never be, I'll never see it back. It's like acceptable breakages, almost, like an, accept, an accepted loss in the business, yeah. This is the loss that they are living with right now. And mm-hmm. because they are, I mean, they are a non-profit organization. Mm-hmm. And and those those organizations are kind of, again non-profit their only mission is to help people that they have only one option going to the loan sharks and right now okay we get that mm-hmm. invariably those people are the uh, are very high risk mm-hmm. on average but then we want to help them to differentiate between somebody that maybe on purpose they want to get 500 pounds and they disappear because anywhere their their credit score is like zero or whatever close to zero so it's they, they don't have anything to lose yeah. versus people that actually are in that situation but um, they are let's say average risks yeah. aka people that, that just came to the uk they have some financial history somewhere in europe um, and now the lenders can actually understand their financial situation from europe says okay i understand that in uk you don't have a lot of credit history but here in, I don't know, Romania, let's say, or anywhere in Europe, actually, it feels like you had a steady income, you had a steady outgoing. So you are, let's say, an average credit risk there. Mm. So they might be more inclined to actually open up their books to, to these people. And again, it's um, it's fundamentally, 
companies and, and lenders, because this is where we found the, the, the sweet spot where those kind of ethical lenders trying to to help people that are actually on a, on a bring to, to go to the loan sharks. Mm. Um, weirdly enough, and I'm still trying to crack that market, <laughs> another huge pain point is about getting car insurance. Right. If you just came here in the UK, your car insurance premium is through the roof. Mm. And I've been working in insurance sector for what, eight years. I know exactly the in and outs. I know how it works. And everybody agrees that, yes, we treat them on average because we cannot, we don't have data to actually differentiate between, let's say, the average Joe and somebody who's a better risk and somebody who's a lower risk. Mm. And this is where I am. I'm advocating and I'm I'm saying it's, it's a little bit outrageous because the data is there. It's not that we don't have the data. The data is, is there. The only thing is, of course, the company needs to, to do a little bit of effort of looking mm -hmm. to that data. That data, it's in a, in a format that they can look at. Even the no-claim bonus. So you can get your no-claim bonus pretty much from anywhere in Europe in an English written format. Right. That's it. And that is quite important to say, you know what, Adrian, for the last 10 years, never had an accident. Okay, of course, switching uh, from Romania to, to UK doesn't mean that in UK you will not have an accident, but still it's better than somebody who actually had a zero years no claim bonus. That, yeah. that kind of, uh, yeah. of approach. But again, because usually the car insurance companies are very focused on, on mass market and actually providing uh, a service for the, let's call it the average job. They mm -hmm. struggle when we get into those kind of niches to say, okay, right now, how many, I don't know, Europeans are here. Okay, there are some, some quite good uh, millions, but then getting a different process for these people, actually, it's a, it's a pain. So we're still trying to crack that market. It's not, uh, it's not of a given. So if anybody from car insurance is listening to this podcast, podcast please reach out and let's uh, let's have a conversation and solve that problem yeah mm. yeah it's interesting you mentioned about um, well obviously quite a lot of things there that I, I, i'm curious about but one thing in particular you mentioned a couple of times which is that the data is is available but it's just uh, and it's in english so that you know across across the board but i suppose does that mean that there is a, a challenge ahead of you for when you want to spread out to europe in a more meaningful way that between other European countries, that's going to be more difficult. Or would you know because of would it would they be able to always rely on the fact that there is English for English even in non-native English speaking countries? Or would they need it to be translated into their native tongue to make it more efficient? That's a great question, and I'm. <laughs> I am a techie by formation and I am a data mindset and maybe I am underestimating this. Mm. But from my perspective, data is data. Mm. And what I am trying to say is that, yes, we are producing the global credit score. That global credit score takes in consideration your financial transaction from anywhere in Europe and bubbles it up in a score. And mm. that score, it's whatever, 70 out of 100. And mm. that has exactly the same meaning in every language. Of course, even behind the scene you have, of that score, you get all of your bills. Now, does it make a difference between France Telecom and O2? 
arguably not. Arguably, the way that you pay France Telecom and the way that you pay O2, that should be important, but not the name of the company. Mm. So this is why what we do is we think like that the global credit score is very much resembling your credit score. And you're not sure if you've seen your credit score, the details and everything there. So it's the words are not very important there, but the data in it. Right. Okay. This is why we we do this kind of data uniformization across Europe. And when you look to the frequencies that I am paying my bills in whatever country, that should be the same from the company perspective. You know what? If I want to, I don't know, if I want to provide my services, me as a company, if I want to provide my services only to people that are paying their bills, I don't know, with at least 80% of the time, then you got the information there. It's mm. as simple as that. You don't need any translation on anything. What I mentioned about the, the documents, I mean, getting into more specialized industry industries like uh, in for car insurance you need the proof of no claim bonus right i cannot provide that through bank transactions i have no idea if actually you had an accident or not mm -hmm. but then what you need to do is to get to the the romanian authority the romanian authority will provide that document in english so therefore you can actually pass it wherever you want mm. Now that it's a, an alternative way of, of, of doing things. And this is where to break into the, the car insurance sector, for example, I would be willing to actually help them with this kind of uniformization. So like, yes, I am getting the no claim bonus document from all over Europe. And I am telling you that this is two years, three years, five years. And arguably again, data is data, should be the same. Just keep I'm it telling... keep it based on yeah. numbers, right? Yeah. Re remove language out of the equation, essentially. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose it doesn't stop there. You know, th those are three areas that you mentioned that you're working on or have been worked on. But like like you pointed out at the beginning, there's a lot of areas in people's lives where this this score is going to be important. So have you got a something of a roadmap as to as to someone's life almost as to where where these touch points are and and are you looking to try and solve as many of these as possible over the lifespan of the company or is it more just a, you know you're taking it one step at a time and you're not really thinking about the grander picture right now our 10 years plus vision is indeed to be this kind of credit rating agency but for the user in terms of it is with the user explicit consent as opposed the other credit rating agencies where you don't really give your consent for them to collect your data. Mm. Um, and it works specifically for you as a user because you are trying to get a service and only at that moment you actually allow us to share your credit score with whatever company you are trying to get your, your service from. Mm. So that kind of grand vision, I am cautious that that is a hundred billion plus type of market and disrupting that market, it's not exactly an, an easy thing. Mm -hmm. This is why we, we, we think into pragmatical terms what we can do right now to start helping users, to start learning from helping those users and of course start putting some money into, into the bank. Um, and this is why we launched this tenants referencing in Romania, because, yeah, of course, we want you to, to learn from that. But also because most of European countries, they don't have a credit referencing agency. Hmm. And I, I learned that. I mean, I, I, I haven't lived in, in most of European countries, but then I, I had lots of conversation with people. And yes, fundamentally, they don't have a credit referencing agency. 
um, which of course this until now at least was for very good reasons in terms of in Europe they are a little bit more stringent and conscious with their data and not being shared and not being used against them. Mm. But I do believe that in our case, fundamentally, we, we allow you to use your data for your benefit. Because mm -hmm. if, if it's nothing there, you'll, ne you'll never agree for us to actually look into your financial transactions. Very, very simple. But if it's a value there, and if we can provide a value to you, then why not? Let's use your data to your, um, to your benefit. So I think that if we... we if we do our learnings in Romania in terms of the, um, the tenants referencing, there are other markets in Europe that actually we can spread. Uh, and that could be quite a lucrative business. Mm. Everybody's pointing me to Spain. In Spain, you get international landlords, a lot of international landlords. A lot of landlords are not actually living in Spain. And then mm. you get a lot of international tenants. And most of the tenants are not living in Spain, but they are just visiting Spain for a week, a month, a year, whatever. Yeah. So this is um, this feels the the no brainer in terms of spreading there. We start doing a little bit of market research. Um, everybody, how how every landlord is, is solving this problem, they are getting a landlord insurance, which is not exactly cheap. We're talking about more than a hundred pounds a year. Um, and then guess what? Uh, the moment where you start to have a bad tenant and then you claim on your insurance, we all know what happens when you claim on your insurance. Your insurance premium, of course, goes uh, goes through the roof sometimes mm -hmm. and uh, it will start increasing there. Mm -hmm. So this is why uh, having a service where you, you veto your tenant before. Um, I mean, right now you have two options. Either you don't have any vetoes, you have no idea who's that tenant or you get the, the landlord insurance, but then you can actually veto them and say, you know what, I'm taking that risk, or maybe I'm still paying my insurance, but my insurance cost will be quite uh, quite small. I mean, to, to put things in perspective, here in the UK, a tenant's referencing service, it's anywhere between 20 to 40 pounds. Um, in Romania, we we entered with roughly 20, 22, probably the, when you translate like for like pounds. Um, and our cost to provide that service it's, is not uh, is not through the roof. So that is kind of uh, the, the things where we are trying to to validate our proof point, trying to help the ecosystem there, and also trying to to make some money. And we can spread this across Europe as a fundamental service. Mm -hmm. The moment where we spread this across Europe as a fundamental service, that will allow us to actually get that data and, of course, start building a relation with, with our users and build on top of it. Mm -hmm. Now, UK, it's a different, it's a different uh, <laughs> country, that's for sure, but also they have different problems in terms mm -hmm. of they don't really have the tenants referencing problem because here the, the tenant referencing, it works and it works the way that it works, doesn't matter, but it works. Mm -hmm. And I haven't found a lot of um, people telling me that we, we have a pain point from the landlord perspective or from the property management company perspective. Of course, the, the tenants, they always have that problem. But in the ecosystem, we need to solve and we need to cater for all players. Mm. So, yes, we cannot just help the tenants. We need to help the landlords and we need to help the, um, the property management companies. And this is why we haven't found, maybe we, we haven't reached out to the, the right companies, but we haven't found 
companies telling us that yes on tenants referencing for internationals actually you we do have that problem maybe you can help us with so this is why we kind of park that industry hmm. but then um, what we've done again as i mentioned we we found this uh, the, the loans industry and not not the loans in general but very specific loans for bad credits or seen credit files and especially if their mission is to to help those people to to get out of uh, you know loan sharks and everything then uh, that feels quite a, a no-brainer from our perspective to be the the ideal customer profile to be the, this, the ideal business to, mm. to work with and this is why we we try to scale that based on our learning there that's interesting because if i suppose thinking about it that makes sense that there's not really so much of an issue for for landlords and property um individuals in the uk because there's just an abundance of people wanting to rent right so it's just not as big an issue because if you know if they if they 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 run a credit check on someone from a different country and it comes back negative there's a queue of a, of a thousand people who will have who will pass that credit check and they'll just say yes and come on in so so as far as they're concerned they don't care if that if that if they don't have that information and it's not accurate right indeed that's that's spot on and uh, funny enough uh, my uh, my business partner lives in london mm. i'm in cardiff and uh, he said you know what whenever i'm renting an apartment if my landlord would ask me to dance naked in front of their building at 11 p.m in the night i would do that mm. because if i really really want that apartment that's it you Just have to close. otherwise it's going to go to someone else yeah exactly if you are enjoying this episode please subscribe like and share your thoughts in the comments and as, I, as you mentioned it's a huge queue there yeah <laughs> it's huge and, and i remember um being shocked when i first went to rent my first place my first flat um, i remember viewing it with my partner at the time we we had a look and um i'm like oh this is perfect you know we were like yeah we'll take it and he's like okay well that's not how it works um there's other people looking at it and then we'll we'll decide who's going to have it i'm like what so it's like it's like it's an audition you know and i was like this isn't how it works surely like surely it's first come first serve we're the ones to say we want it like it's oh no no we, we're going to you know run everyone's checks and you know we want to meet people see what they're like um there's a a, a questionnaire you have to fill out as well we had to fill out a questionnaire about our lives and this and that and how long we've been together and then the, the landlords will make a decision based on who they want. And obviously yeah. we, we didn't get it because, you know, we were young and, you know, a young couple, we didn't have much of a credit history. And so then it obviously went to someone else. I, mean, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It was, you know, no one told me that that's what was going to happen. Uh, you know, I was always told, yeah, you go out, you find a place, you look at it. If you want it, you, 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 you say, yes, I want it. <laughs> but uh, that's the UK yeah. for you, right? It's just that, that they, you know, being in property is uh, it's a good business. I wish I was in it sometimes, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. Indeed. And it's exactly like, like how I felt when, when I came here. And mm. it's interesting because yes, also native UK people are feeling exactly the same. It's like applying for a job. You need to go there and right. portray yeah. yourself in the best light there and explain them your five years career plan and uh, where do you see yourself, you know? <laughs> exactly. And, and it's exactly like a job because uh, a job interview, because you're quite often not even interviewing with the person you're going to be working for. The landlord isn't there. This is through someone else entirely so it's entirely subjective so they're not even going to get a full a full you know uh 
full representation of who you are as a person. It is entirely subjective. Anyway, it's very strange. So I can only imagine how much more difficult that would be for someone who isn't a, a citizen of, of this country or, or, or the same in any other country for that for that matter, maybe going through the same thing. Because there are other, are other countries, as you point out, in Europe, which which have a huge amount of influx of people too, not just the UK. Um, like, you know, because like uh, South of France or, or Spain, like you pointed out, there's a lot of these countries, but that's mostly us going there, right? <laughs> so, so there you go. <laughs> go. Going there and also owning properties there. And owning properties, yeah. And then lending that properties to whatever tenants from anywhere in Europe that actually yeah. everybody loves South of France and Spain, that we know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, how, how long has the business been going for then? Like, well, so, well, how long was it since you came up with the idea and, and you made a start on things to, to now right. so um first yeah, i'll come uh, come to this you, you ask if we, if we studied okay those kind of okay the product or where we can help because yes as a as a credit referencing agency if you want to be in 10 years mm. we could help a number of industries yeah and we've yeah. we we've mapped out a number of segments of people like people just came into the okay people with bad credit files people with seen credit files then you get um corporate and then you, you get expats if if i came through a corporation and that was i mean initially i came from the mba and that was a horrendous experience and after one and a half years of one year the mba and then six months working for uh, for jobs then through a corporation i relocated here in the uk and that was right. a breeze that was perfect experience they so took when, care when you say, for everything when you say through a corporation from a job placement perspective yes right. yes okay yes so fundamentally i've got a job with admiral the the, the car insurance company mm. and then they took care of everything and i say literally everything they say not we have this apartment you'll be there for three weeks in three weeks we'll be fine helping you find your own place to to stay uh opening up a bank account and everything that was uh, was a breeze fundamentally every every single problem that i had completely vanished wow. except one except one <laughs> i still needed a credit card not because i needed the credit but because i wanted to build the credit score right and that was the first time when i i, I understood what the credit score and okay why do i need a credit score and so on and everybody says you know what the best way to build credit. of course there are a number of ways there that you can do but also get a credit card Mm. And I said, okay, right now I'm working for a big corporation. I have an income. I have everything. Let's go there and apply for it. Mm. And I just went on whatever price comparison website I, I, I went and then um, applied for it. And then, of course, got a huge thing. It says, nope, sorry, <laughs> we cannot provide you a credit card. I said, mm. okay, come on, guys. I, I have a decent income. It is not from a very small company. It's quite a, a big company and everything. So why on earth are you actually providing me a, a decent credit card? And I, the only credit cards that I could uh, I could get is this kind of credit building credit cards, which comes like 50% APR, mm -hmm. which from my perspective, that's, um, you see, we, in general, in the Western society, everybody complains about the fact that people are in debt. <laughs> But, and I am not advocate of whatever fancy theories or conspiracy theories, but you cannot see that actually this is contraintuitive for me to actually get access to better financial products. I need to be in that. I need to get, yeah. and I don't need to get something that is, you know, for 5% APR. I need to get something 50% APR. And I did, if I, if I, of course, I knew how to use that card and I use it properly and I never had to pay the 50% APR. 
but not everybody has the financial literacy and all the experience and everything. And I could totally see somebody that actually says, yeah, okay, I have 500 pounds here right now. Okay, let me spend it and I forget about it. And then every month they need to pay whatever, 100 pounds of that, which is 50% APR on, on this and, and everything. And this is how you actually get in, into that if you are not cautious there. So that is a, another product I mean, coming to, to the product roadmap and everything, mm. uh, helping people to get a credit card to build a credit score. And I know it's a little mm. bit counterintuitive. When you just came here, okay, we can help you import your credit score. That's one. But then when you import your credit score, we need to have a lot of companies using our imported credit score. In the same time, we want to help companies providing you credit cards to say, okay, right now you can actually get a better credit card rather than the, you know, the 50% the plus API mm. type, of, um, type of card. So that's another thing on, on our roadmap. Um, interestingly enough, um, Nova Credit, uh, it's, a, it's a company from US and they started this 2016, helping purely with credit cards and helping purely people coming to the US. <laughs> and you asked about uh, data, data portability and everything. The big three credit rating agencies, the Experian, Equifax and TransUnion, all three of them are both in UK and U US. Mm. So they have the data inside that company somewhere is the data. Mm. It's in plain English. Okay. I, I, I know British English. Okay. American English. It's still English mm. by mm. the end of the day. So you can actually transfer the data as it is. No, mm. you cannot. The moment you cross the, the Atlantic, you lose your um, your credit score. Nobody wants to pay attention. And this is how they, they started in US to actually solve this. Mm. Um, I think that we are complementary because the ways that they are solving it, again, it's I mean, they are solving the same problem, but we are solving in a different way, which makes us complementary. They, they, they will not be able to solve it for Europeans, for example, because there are no credit referencing agents yeah. in Europe. And this is why we are um, we are there. Um, sorry, I've uh, I've digressed on uh, on this. You, you that's fine. Something before, and, uh, no, and no, you'll need fine. to remind me exactly what you are asking me. <laughs> sorry. About no, that. no, that's fine. It was it, it's, it was all really interesting, and, and yeah, it's answering my previous questions. That's 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 good. No, I, I was asking um, a moment ago about um, the timing of all of this because I'm I'm just curious as to uh, when you've sort of initially made a start on everything, um, and and how long that's been. Okay, so. Um, before this, for five years, I was working for Confuse.com, which back then at least was part of the Admiral Group, and I was leading their labs team. So fundamentally, the team in charge was researching those kind of new products based on new technologies or not. We were always product first rather than technology first. Um, and based on this, um, trying to see, okay, if we believe that this is a big direction to take, then what are the steps that we want to, to put in place there? So I always have this kind of appetite for innovation, for finding for problems, to starting the, 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 the first few steps there to, to actually validate that problem. Um, but then um, last year, I decided to, to start a company says, you know what, for sure, whenever I will be out of confuse.com, 
I want to, to do this and I want to solve this problem because I've experienced it myself. There are many people out there. It must be done something different. And I think that we can do something different. Um, and so Confuse.com, I got quite a lot of experience in insurance, in the financial sector and open banking also. We've played a lot with the open banking. We In, in the labs, we launched an open banking power proposition. So we, I knew what's that about and pros and cons and, limit, sorry, and, and limitations. Um, but I started a company in parallel with Confuse.com and I was tinkering with the technology, trying to, to play around, trying to say, okay, where is our, our best niche and, and everything. Um, I always thought that this year, 2023, will be the year where I'll be 100% on it. Mm. Uh, but I didn't quite knew exactly how, when, and, and this. And luckily for me, in uh, February, Confuse.com went through a company restructuring event. <laughs> right where they offered um, redundancies uh, through a number of people, like like 50 people out of 300. Uh, I says, you know what, where do I sign? Thank you. And uh, by then I, I had been with the company for eight years, so the redundancy pack was quite okay. Um, and I says, you know what, that's the perfect moment for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. let, me let me focus on this. Um, lately, last year, I, I found my, my co-founder also. And when I started to be 100% on this, uh, we found also to to take it. That says, you know what? Yes, we we want to solve this problem. We want to be part of this uh, this vision. Let's let's do it. And this is how we we started. Um, I am, and maybe I'm very biased on this. But I uh, when when think about financing a company, I always love revenue instead of uh, investors' money. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I'm very glad to hear that. Me it's... too. Yes, me too. I'm always telling people that in my in my advisory sessions. Like, you know, aim to make money as quickly as you can. <laughs> in, indeed. And, I mean, of course, Silicon Valley and the whole investors business angels vcs the whole financing bit it works there are hundreds of billions of pounds and dollars being put into it and it's very established process there they know how to do it how to play the game and on average it works you know what's the problem with averages <laughs> There's a, I, of, I, there's a lot of situations where it doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. And I, I'll always yeah. remember one of the, the data scientist guys, that, a brilliant guy that I worked with. Uh, he says, Adrian, let me explain in a very practical and pra plastic way the difference between averages and actually segments. Mm -hmm. On average, every human being has roughly one testicle. <laughs> <laughs> in yeah. reality, very, very few people have actually won one testicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the difference with on that's average great, it works. That's a great way of putting it. <laughs> Again, gonna, I will I'm, not I'm take gonna, credit for it. Yeah, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> I love the the explanation. Very simple, yeah. very, very clear. And everybody can understand it and yeah. relate to it. And yes, this is why that is a machine. The investing bit is a machine that it works on average. An investor will spread their investment across 10, 20 companies trying to solve a problem. And one of the 10 will actually solve the problem. And boom, this is what they, they do. And that's okay. Um, I never went through that cycle. I don't have experience in that. I have experience in sales. <laughs> Pretty much all my life I've been through an extent in, in various roles, customer facing or sales roles. 
So this is why I said, you know, let us try to generate some revenue first. Of mm. course, if we want to decide to, to get some uh, funding, will help for sure. Revenue will always help getting funding. But also we might be able to actually bootstrap it this all the way through. And there are companies, and I have quite a number of examples, where they were actually able to, to bootstrap it all the way, all the mm. way to IPO maybe. Um, now, again, those are rarities. And I'm, I'm, I know that I'm kind of against the odds here. Mm. Um, but I'm willing to, to give it a try. And this is why our route to market and our company company stages have been thinking into, okay, let's launch a B2C product where actually we can actually make some money. And because our behind the scene costs are not through the roof, we are, everybody says that they are lean, but we are as lean as, as one can be. Uh, our costs are not through the roof. So mm. therefore we can go, we can have quite a decent uh, profitability margin there. So we say, okay, we are willing to, to bet on this. Um, so yeah, right now the, the investment, it's, it's kind of lurking there, but we want at least for the next 12 months, we are well stocked to actually bootstrap it. Uh, hopefully in this 12 months, we'll, uh, we'll have some meaningful revenue. So either we can bootstrap it further down, either again, we can command uh, a better valuation. Not to mention that right now, frankly, raising money in this type of context and environment. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's a full time job, you know, trying to to raise money as well, and it's just incredibly distracting. And it's it, yeah, if if that time and effort can be put into uh, getting the product into the hands of customers who can provide feedback, or even better, provide income and revenue, those are far better. Uh, things to spend time on in my, in my opinion so it's 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 great to hear that because of i you know especially if you feel capable i suppose where it becomes difficult to make that decision is when you don't have the confidence in the ability to sell and that's where i find the vast majority of founders that i speak to they tend to think of investment first as the solution um because they just don't feel confident enough in knowing how to sell and i, I my comeback to that is always well then you should learn because if you if you don't know how to sell to customers, you don't know how to sell to investors. So either way, you're fucked. You, you need to know how to sell. Indeed. <laughs> so that's what you should be working on as a matter of priority. But um, the reason why I was asking about the time frame thing is because of you know it sounds like you've achieved quite a lot in 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 a very short period of time. Um, but also more more than anything else, it's just really interesting to hear how long that idea had been in your head for. You know, before okay. before before it came out, like it, has the idea changed quite significantly? Because I have a feeling, based on some of the stuff you says it has, um, from from you know when it's initially popped into your head, and and, and then now it's sort of being executed. So yes, it's changed a lot. Yeah. When I first started, I knew that there is a problem there. I knew that right now there can be better ways to solve that problem for immigrants in the UK because open banking and open data and access to, to data. I had no idea. I mean, my first assumption was that we can help the car insurance companies because, of course, I'm coming from car insurance sector. Mm. Um, but then... Um, I, I mean, of course, everybody knows the, this kind of uh, the, the concept of yeah, talking to your customers, talking to your users before building anything there. Mm. Um, the way that I've approached things is 
build a very simple MVP, sort of something that I can show around mm-hmm. and something that actually it works to the extent that I need to show a concept. It's not mm-hmm. something that, yeah, tomorrow we can put live in production, but to actually empower those kind of conversation. Luckily, again, because my career spans 10 years in tech and 10 years in business, I can combine the two and I know exactly what to build to, to serve me in the sales process. <laughs> mm, yeah, I don't need to build there a castle because usually, I mean, I'm, I'm discussing with, with technical people and they say, yes, of course, we can build this and that and that and that. And nobody, I mean, everybody's telling me what we can build. And of course, we can build pretty much everything. We, we are builders as, <laughs> as, as, as a species. But then nobody is asking, okay, what actually makes sense to be built right now? And this is, I think, that is the, the, the huge problem. And I've seen it in a lot of startups, especially yeah. if, if the founder is not very well in both things in terms of tech and, and business. They, it's, it's very easy to get a very vocal CTO says, oh, yes, this solution, this is the dream. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the CEO or the, 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 the business mind says, yes, for sure, that's the 10-year vision. That, that's amazing. Mm. And they are portraying this kind of huge castle. And this is an analogy that I've been using for whatever number of years. Um, it's very, or whatever, it's easy to imagine a huge castle with all the features, all the flags, all the windows, exactly where is the front door, how you get through the castle and everything. And that that takes a lot of time. And that maybe in 10 years, you will get there in, in 10 years. And that's the very good for your vision. But then I've seen a lot of startups trying to say, you know what, we don't launch before we don't have that huge castle. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. We don't talk to customers before having that huge castle because you know what, we are embarrassed. Yeah, we might be able to build an apartment building blocks, whatever, something, or even a tent. We mm-hmm. might be able to build a tent, but uh, come on, it's a tent here. Yeah. And if it's a tent, then, oh, okay, I don't like to, you know, invite my potential users to attend because, you no, know, that's my castle, that's my vision. Mm. And as founders, we always have that vision that says, okay, this is in 10 years, this is how it will work. I mean, my vision, very simple, we will be the credit referencing agency of Europe. Mm. Uh, but come on, that's a, that's a 10-year vision for mm. me to actually build that, no matter if I would get even 10 million, which is outrageous, but let's say at this stage of the company, even if I will get 10 million investing, there is no way 10 million to actually run and uh, and get that vision so i need to i need to sell it um but this is where it it comes down to are you solving a real problem Mm. and i always remember a saying from um from silicon valley and i don't remember exactly who said this but i know that it's uh is there is that try to find problems or try to find people where they have a, a huge problem such as their hair is on fire mm. why very simple because if their hair is on fire if you were to hand him a brick so a, a, a brick they will hit her his head to actually try to put up the fire doesn't mm-hmm. matter it's a brick there but it will actually smash their head so no matter your tent, if your tent actually solves a real problem, they will try to use your tent. They will do the best there and they will start telling you that your tent is not maybe big enough or maybe it's not tall enough or whatever. Mm. But that is that is the, the, the kind of approach that, that we want to take. And I think that we, we've taken in terms of not what's the simple things that we can do. Let's, let's launch, let, let's put that kind of MVP together, the, the technology to prove that it works, 
based on this technology, we start having a lot of discussions. And this is why that very early prototype allowed me to have a lot of discussions to the car insurance sector. Mm. And unfortunately, the, my connections are inside big corporations in car insurance. And big corporations says, you know what, it's too small of a segment for us. Mm-hmm. Is yes, we understand, we know it's a big problem, but it's too small of a segment for us to actually start drafting a new journey, start drafting a new data source. When we do our overall analysis into various segments, suddenly we need to split them between, I don't know, traditional risks and non-traditional risks, or whatever mm-hmm. you want to and that is their problem and i i would be foolish enough i mean i'm i don't think that i'm I'm foolish enough to actually not pay attention to that that mm. was their feedback that would have been a very hard sales process there yeah however there are specialized car insurance companies one of them actually specialized for internationals and we start discussing with this company because they are already they already believe in insuring internationals mm. so, so that's all they that need more data yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly um so yeah this is so again coming with with the the initial idea and then okay the insurance market and then from the insurance market we said okay we need a b2c product we need something where actually we'll start generating money because we'll we'll be able to command more uh, more profit there uh, and this is how we say okay let's look at the products let's map out the, the customer segments where are them and what are their needs uh, okay let's try to to see if in romania we can actually launch this service and we we've done it with exactly the same technology if you want we, we shaped it a little bit um the service is there it's uh, it's live and, and can be used and it is used so we learn from it mm. uh and it's not perfect don't get me wrong sometimes mm. we need to tell the um, um the landlord and the, the tenant of course that we need 24 hours to validate their uh, their credit score report and that is of course somebody manually double checking that all the numbers and everything is okay because somehow that got flagged from the technology and that's it and we are willing to actually live with this problem and frankly from the landlord and, and the tenant's perspective they have a 24-hour delay in that report not a huge deal yes yeah. of course it's not nice it is not something that they will be complaining on whatever forums about it mm. Yeah. Um, and this, those are the kind of trade-offs that um, I know, I mean, as a founder, I know that I'm willing to, to take and I know how much it saves from actually designing the perfect solution for catering for all of the situations mm-hmm. rather than introducing a little bit of customer friction there in some, to some extent and in, in some scenarios and actually get a little bit of, um, of, of manual work. Hmm. Um, and then you can just build those the, the the parts of that platform bit by bit, but with the feedback that it's more of an urgency than than not. But you know what's really refreshing about hearing this approach as well is that it's an approach to a problem that is very large. Like you you pointed out, you know, hundred billion dollar problem, like in the ten year plan scale of things. And the vast majority of founders, I think, out there who have these really big disruptive problems get paralyzed by the fact that they are so big. The only way to do it is with with funding, right? Because it's too big. 
Like there's no way I can ha I can go to any of these big companies and be taken seriously without a serious product. There's no way that someone anyone would buy it unless there's good marketing. We need people, you know, it needs to be a perfect product. It needs to be well established before anyone's going to take me seriously in the boardroom to to solve this problem. And like you've rightly pointed out, it's like, well, yeah, but just take a step, take a few steps back. Like you, th there's a version of this that can go, you know, into a, a smaller version of the market first. Um, and actually you'll come out of it much better because of, like you said, it, 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 let's say someone was to give you a hundred million tomorrow, you could definitely build something that you think would work, right? To solve this 10 year vision, but it probably wouldn't because it's not been built with any feedback from users. It's not been built with any feedback from, from the companies. And so you'll be guessing the, and the, the, the hundred million will be gone like that. <laughs> and, and then you'll probably have to spend another hundred million fixing it. And by which time the damage to your reputation is done and no one's ever going to want to work with you because you've come in, you've signed huge contracts, you've got lots of money from people. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really good to see that even with these big ideas, there is a way to bootstrap it. There is for everything. I'm a strong believer in that. Every idea can be bootstrapped. It just means you need to go, okay, that's my idea. I'm happy with that idea. But now I need new ones to get there, <laughs> right? That's what it is. And it's a lot of work, I imagine, because if you said, you know, you're speaking to a lot of these companies, you're speaking to individuals on the ground in, in Romania, you know, it's B2C. So you're having to, I presume, pick up the phone email people message people yeah. all the time right that's what you're doing yep. right? you're doing yep. sales and <laughs> arguably and you i think that you you pointed out that uh, as founders and as most important as the the ceo and the 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 the, the person with the vision there mm. i do believe that the most important part that we need to do is to be out there and and sell this yeah because and, you need you need to communicate that vision right that's your job is to say yes, I know it's a tent now, but can, but can you see what I see when we look at this tent? Because I see a fucking castle. I need you to see the castle, and that's your job is to get people to see the castle, right? Indeed, and yeah. most important, learn from their feedback. Yeah, because it's invaluable. There is no way, and I, I get tons of inbound requests of companies helping me with the the business development aspect. Yeah. And I don't think that the company is at the stage where you have a product that can be indeed scaled through business, traditional business development type. Yeah, yeah. We might be able, with the tenants reference, if we get it right in Romania, the scale problem, totally agree. I need some, some business development efforts there mm -hmm. to actually scale. Because, but yeah. we are not there yet. After because, tens because of it needs users... Yeah, we because it needs to be there. it needs to currently be sold by someone who's willing to take things and then change the pitch. And, and it must, must be continuously evolving. Uh, a standard business development person can't do that. They, they, you need to give them a pitch and then say, right, there's the direction. They're like they're like an arrow. Right. They're just going to go in one direction. Whereas you're like this. right? <laughs> Indeed. I'm yeah. I'm again, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be technical also. So the way that I approach things, I am discussing with a prospect lead. I'm understanding their problems, and the next the the, the next uh, call it's about the demo. Mm. Every single time I'm changing the demo, I'm changing the layout, I'm changing the output of that product, because that product needs to speak on their needs. Very simple. If I'm saying not, I have this product, which might be a huge product and a very nice product, 
but if it doesn't solve their very individual problem, then, then, then that's it. Mm-hmm. To, to put things in perspective, I was discussing with a bank in Romania. And yes, I was selling the grand vision of global credit score and everything. So I didn't, yeah, okay, I understand. But until then, we have a bigger problem. We want to provide loans for Romanians living abroad. There are mm-hmm. 3.5 million Romanians nowadays living abroad that most of them are working and most of them are earning money and we have zero knowledge about their income. Mm. And most of them actually are self-employed. So therefore, if I ask them a payslip, I have two problems. One, yes, they can raise their, artificially raise their uh, their income for the last three months uh, for, you know, pay them whatever, 500K if they want. Mm. Um, second, in most of the countries, you don't get a rubber stamp, you don't get something, you just get a PDF with your payslip. That PDF, mm. you pay somebody 10 pounds on Fiverr and you'll get it done if yeah, you are not yeah. technical enough to do it yourself. Um, and that's it. So therefore, that bank has a very simple problem, if you want, to validate somebody's income, to mm. say whenever they declare there that they have their income, whatever, to have a third party source to, val- source to validate that income. Mm. And says, okay, that's perfect. Yes, of course, we have the grand vision. If you need only one piece of that huge puzzle, I'm very happy to actually provide you one piece. But because I'm not a, a traditional business development person, I was able to actually, instead of selling the grand vision of global credit score, then I said, okay, this is what you need. Perfect. This is how our solution actually help you with this. And this is this helps me stays in the conversation. And probably you know better than me how long it's a sales cycle in a bank. There is no mm. way to get like one and, and that's it. And I'm opening up the front. And it might be the case that other banks actually, they have other problems, other pieces of this puzzle. Mm. But because I have the whole puzzle in my head and on, on paper, then I, I know how to sell different um, different pieces there. Mm. And weirdly enough and, and interestingly enough, so, um, the first time when, when somebody told me about sales, so 2015, I joined Admiral. Admiral, the car insurance company founded by two brilliant people. One is Henry and Henry Engelhardt. The other is David Stevens. Um, both of them founded the company 20 years ago, 20 something right now. Um, completely different characters. Henry, very much, if you want a salesperson, a people person. David, very much a brainiac. Mm-hmm. Um, David is is the one in his uh, as a funny story in, in inside the company. He's everybody knows that in a presentation. So we've been working for three months on a project, and you put whatever twenty slides there, and he sees the twenty slides for the first time, and then you run through the numbers, and eventually says, mm, "That number doesn't look right." <laughs> right. That is his statement. Actually, most of the cases where actually you go there and you drill down and you're like, yeah, that number is not right. <laughs> that kind of thing. But again, long story short, my one of my first encounters with and uh, meetings with uh, with Henry because part of when when I joined the um, the program, Henry had a, a program for for MBAs um, to you know get to know the business and work inside the business and, and source projects. Um, and he asked openly, like, we we're like three, four um, MBAs there. Okay, what's the most important skills in life? <laughs> and of course, everybody, so when I don't even remember what I mentioned there, I said, yeah, of course, those are important, but the most important is sales. Uh, and back then, I was looking like, oh, sales, hmm, no, I'm coming from a technical background, MBA, sales, not exactly the most important, but no. And he says, you know what? 
you need to to be able to sell a dream you need to be able to sell a product of course that's for the first time but then you need to be able to sell an idea you need to be able whenever even when you get to your team and then says guys i think that we need to do something if you just go there and say guys i need that i don't know i think that from tomorrow we need to wrap our chocolate in green paper <laughs> if you just say like this everybody says oh you are nuts go away yeah you need to actually if you think that that's a good idea you need to be able to sell that idea inside your team you need to to mm. to inspire them and actually either learn from their feedback that no that's not a good idea or actually be able to get them on board because they would be the one executing on your vision if yeah. you are not able to 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 communicate that vision to to sell that dream yes you might get uh, like okay yeah let's wrap it in paper and then behind their uh, their back says oh we'll show you why that is the worst idea ever mm. and believe it or not even that could be a good idea if the execution is like like rubbish for sure would be an, <laughs> the worst yeah, idea because if they do something out of spite or contempt it's it's going to blow up in your yeah. face even if it's the best idea ever if people are doing it because they don't buy into it then yeah yeah that's a really good piece of advice i and i i would i absolutely agree with that that advice because if yeah. not i don't think it's just important for a founder but it's good for leaders as a whole or anyone that um you know, I would argue anyone with uh, any form of responsibility or, or anything in life, because actually it's it's about the communication of ideas. That's what it really comes down to. You know, I've always described sales as there's no, there's not really any mystical skill to sales. Yes, you can go and learn sales frameworks and there's a ton of literature on the psychology of sales and all this sort of stuff. I've read all of those books and I know all about them, but ultimately I just throw them out the window. Because what is important is it's about excellent communication skills. That's all it comes down to, the art of communication. A friendly reminder to share this episode with your network, subscribe for more and join the conversation in the comments. It really helps us out. Thank you. That's exactly why I like this doing this, this show, right? Because <laughs> it's about communication. I have a love for communication with, with people. And that's what is important isn't it? It's, it's about being able to communicate something, get, get the emotion across, right? If you're excited about something, get them excited about something. Like I was speaking to some co-founders recently, they're about to go and pitch at an event uh, to a bunch of investors, uh, quite high stakes. It's like the biggest one they've done so far. And um, they asked me to have a quick look at their, their pitch document, right? Um, I had a quick look to their script, a quick look at the script. There was no initial start to the story right there was no there's no introduction you know there was no begin there was a middle and an end there was no beginning and i said and i just asked i said like, how did how did the idea for the company start i was like oh it was just from like a text conversation and i was like okay so then that's what you explain at the beginning but you frame it a bit different so this company you know like three years ago our friends and i were having a conversation about this particular pain point and talking about how you, for years, people like us have struggled with this thing. And this idea was born. And then you go into the presentation, that's all it takes, but it's a story, right? You need to get people emotionally invested into the story. And, that, and that's why I've always said for a number of years, you know, we're, we're storytelling creatures. I, there's, a, there's a quote, I think I said this on another episode, I don't know if you're aware of, you know, Terry Pratchett, the writer, 
No. Oh, he's a great British writer. You, you, you would love him. I think I hope you love him. What kind of stuff do you like? Do you like science fiction, fantasy? Science fiction, most. Well, okay. Whenever it's not business and, and everything, the technical things, if you and then of course, science fiction is uh, good. I love, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge science fiction. That's why I wanted to go for this. Perfect <laughs> <laughs> then. <laughs> yeah, well, it's strange. Terry Pratchett is uh, he's dead now, but a very famous British author, and he actually does more fantasy rather than science fiction, but in a way that appeals more science fiction even fantasy if that makes sense but anyway he wrote a number of insane books and he actually wrote a book in, in partnership so it was he was a, a, a co-author of a book which for the life of me i can't remember the name of the author but he's a very famous um evolutionary biologist i think or a mathematician one of the two um and it's uh, I, I won't explain the whole thing but basically in one part of it he says that homo sapiens should have been called panoram which um I believe in Latin translates to storytelling ape. Uh, okay. <laughs> because throughout history, you know, throughout the, the evolution of mankind, what has differentiated us from any other animal is the passing on of information. And the way we do that is in narrative form, in mythology, in legend, in myth, right? Uh, and, and that's how we pass on information. You give, you give people, someone, you know, a, a set of instructions like from Ikea, and tell them to memorize it they're not going to fucking memorize it but if you tell them a story <laughs> about how to assemble this piece of furniture and give each piece a character and a, you know an arc and all that they'll remember how to put that piece of furniture together you know <laughs> that's just how we're wired it's emotional so uh, so yeah I'm, I'm on board with all that uh, bit, bit of a rant but i, I agree with that that's uh, if i may on this and that that's a that's a great point about storytelling uh, and I'll always remember my my grandmother saying lots of stories about, I mean, she lived, whatever, eight years ago. That was in her, in, in that youth. Mm. And back then, she had a lot of stories with wolves and people being chased by wolves. And these kind of stories that actually as a child, like a five-year-old child, seven-year-old child, that actually sparked a lot of my imagination and actually taught me a lot about life and, and, and everything. Because, yeah, of course, she was reading me stories from books and that, that has and have their own um, their own flavor and, and, and everything and, and their own prose there. But I'll never forget the stories about real life experience that actually mm. she had. Um, and I do believe that me, me as a parent whenever my kids are trying to okay read us a story they always and i i started what four or five years ago i started to share from my experience and i'm trying to share the stories that i lived when i was relatively their age because they need to relate on that and when i ask them the evening okay would you like a story from the book or me sharing one of my my stories they always get with one of my stories and not because I'm good storyteller. I'm probably I'm I'm the worst storyteller in, in 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 history on that. But I'm, and I'm I'm constantly struggled to remember things when I was like five years old. Okay, what what actually happened that it's worth sharing and and, and everything. Um, but I do see how they actually they both of them relate to that, and both of them tries to see. Okay, so in my case, this story actually could happen like this, and this is why I need to react like this and like that. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that, you know, we, and I, uh, 
probably I don't know well enough the, the UK society, but in, in the Romanian society, when I was a child, it was very much of uh, telling you what to do. Hmm. Do this, do that, do that, and you'll be whatever good in life and eat well, everything. So when, when the parents were trying to to send if you want to to share their experience was not sharing their experience was sharing the learnings of that experience as you know what i just want you to eat healthy because you would be healthy for until 100 years old and when i was like seven years old i had no idea what means healthy and i was like okay i i have this vague principle there mm. or very vague concept um so naturally uh, and then of course i mean that was the society and then my formation as an engineer Engineers are not very good of uh, storytelling. That's that's for sure, <laughs> without much stereotyping. But I think that we are on the same page here. But then I realized how important it is actually to um, to have this kind of storytelling in pretty much anything that, that you do in life. And yeah, as, as you mentioned, if you can actually embrace it a little bit, and if you can if you can put it a little bit in a story. Our brains are wired and hardwired to actually remember those stories. Yeah, yeah. We've been reading for whatever hundreds of years, mm. but we've been sharing stories for I don't know tens of thousands of years. Yeah, it's yeah. very simple. There is no way for our brain to be better of reading rather than than that. Not mm. to mention all the other like video and um, and this. So yeah, to totally agree. And it's also linked very closely to charisma. You know, so like you tend to see people with higher aptitudes for selling or storytelling or, you know, good good communication overall, they can command a route, right? So they're more likely to have more meaningful relationships with friends and family and, you know, more likely to get promoted at work and, you know, therefore have higher incomes, healthier lifestyles, like all these things are linked, you know, um, even back to your point about parenting. I noticed with, with my son, for example, who, you know, he's an eight-year-old boy, there's challenges right through throughout the ages um and you know every now and then there's behaviors that you just can't get them to stop and they drive you mad and whatever it is misbehaving at school or home or whatever and i found that obviously the default setting is to just get frustrated and to just be like stop doing that i've told you a thousand times stop doing that and that's 80 percent of the time that's what we do right hmm. but actually if you take the time to sit down and just come up with a story right that's related to to the thing so if you, you know, years ago, I knew a boy who used to do this, <laughs> you know, and you somehow, you, you tell a story. So this is the story about what happened. You know, he's dead now. No, no, no. Like, like you know, whatever it might be. But, you, you know, you could you yeah. can tell a story. I mean, that's the reason why we have a, a lot of these fairy tales and a lot of the stories are, are cautionary tales, right? Because they're meant to impart a lesson. The boy who cried wolf, the, you know. Uh, Red Riding Hood, like whatever. These are all stories that are meant to pass on uh, information about behavior, about how to act in society. So they're useful tools for a lot of reasons, definitely. But how did you find that transition, though, having to 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 start learning that? Because presumably, so you were learning <laughs> you were learning sales in, in Admiral, I, I suppose. That must have been, like you said, if you hadn't had that mindset, how did you manage to start? Uh, um... It was not easy, but uh, I think that I've got, and I always remember when I graduated uh, the computer science university, our dean, uh, I always remember his advice. You know what, go in a company 
and try to work with people, try to work with your customers external of the company. Don't just be in a company and solve tasks, for example. Mm. In in the programming world, in, in the tech world, everything is very specialized and it's very easy to get, okay, I'm in a support team, I get some tasks here and I need to do three bucks today. Just and get your I head go. down, do exactly. the work, go home, yeah. Yeah, and that is the dead end. If you, if you are a 20 years old, person you, if you get there that is the worst place to be because you, you will be thinking so narrow and you, you don't have anything and i i took for for better or worse I, I took his advice and my my first company i worked for five years i was fundamentally doing everything for a customer from getting to that customer trying to understand their needs programming testing releasing deploying get to the customer to get the feedback mm. and that was again not necessarily by choice but i always valued that so that mm. interaction and of course at that moment i was very clunky and probably to an extent even right now i'm clunky in this kind of communications but still it it helped me and then i worked for six years for a, a, a big company in romania and we are delivering governmental projects where i needed to get different stakeholders so suddenly i needed to be in the middle of European Union, and then the Romanian government, and one million farmers. Those wow. were my three key stakeholders. Yeah, <laughs> and then, of geez. course, I needed to to make sure that everybody's kind of happy. Nobody was yeah. was brilliantly happy, but everybody was kind of happy there, and that mm. that helped me to to have this kind of a broader view there. Mm. But then, yes, in in Admiral, when when I went in Admiral and says, you know, okay, right now we need a sales. I always remember my my training. My my training was in uh, in your business there, um, so fundamentally on the phone. Mm. And now you can imagine my I always remember my my first phone call there. When the very strong Romanian accent met the very strong Scottish accent, no, <laughs> and I had no idea exactly what I said and what I had been told into that call. <laughs> For whatever reasons, it it resulted in a sale. Wow! Okay, <laughs> no idea exactly how, and I always remember this kind of oh, can you repeat that, please? I think that the line is not very good. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the go-to that's the go-to excuse. Yeah, yeah. sorry, it's a bad line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed. Um, but that, yes, of course, I, I needed that. And then was the, the baptism of fire because everything that I, I needed there, the, so the, the role in Admiral was more of an internal management consulting. So I was going in a team, learning a little bit what they do, trying to come up with a better way and then try to sell the dream inside this team. Mm. And that was just learning by doing. And it's not the PowerPoint and it's not only how you put your PowerPoint because that it's only okay five percent of it maybe yeah um but is this kind of communication this kind of selling your uh, your dream and then of mm. course i was rubbish in the beginning and then i got a little bit better and better so to the extent that i was able to to sell the the dream to to the ceo from confused.com to sell the dream to get a new team to start a new team called the labs and uh, she said, you know what? Okay, yeah, I believe in that. Okay, let's uh, let's do it. <laughs> Amazing. That's, I mean, that's and it all starts with just talking to people, right? I mean, that's all it. That's that's always how it starts. You know, that's why I say one of the best jobs any uh, any teenager or young adult can get is in the hospitality industry. I think because of it <laughs> forces you to talk with people from all around the world under all different kinds of situations, and that that can prepare you for 
the ability to communicate with pretty much anyone and then you can go on to do like what you did and specialize in speaking with some particular kinds of people under in a, under certain types of conditions and more stressful situations and so on but you mentioned about there about the sort of consultancy side of things i honestly believe that consulting is one of the hardest cells that there is I think it's incredibly underestimated and underappreciated quite how difficult that is because you're up against the wall there with that sale because you know you're trying to sell something to someone that don't want anything from you basically right you know you've got a team of people who are doing because I work with big companies all the time where I'm coming in the the senior uh, leaders of the company have uh, have recognized that I am needed but no one else there thinks that I am needed right they're like the way we do things is fine we're great at what we do and and it, they and they immediately think well you're there as a threat to basically say you're not doing your job well enough and that's why i'm i'm here it's because i you know their managers telling them and so immediately what you have to do is set the time it's like guys i'm not here because your manager thinks you're not doing a good job i'm here because your manager thinks that there is a way of collectively making your life easier so let's figure out how to do that right you know and it's a very difficult sell because you get a lot of skepticism a lot of pushback and inevitably you can't win everyone over um but it yeah you can get most of them over but i but then i've seen consultants go in like a bull in the china shop and they're just like right guys this is what we're doing now and it's like oh dude what are you doing like it's not gonna work you know like you need them to do you need them to execute the fucking thing like, yeah, you, know? <laughs> so, you know if you turn around and just say well it didn't work because your staff are shit it's like well that's your job like your job yeah. is to make them do it you know so it's did. really hard it's really hard. did you find you had a lot of that pushback as well yeah? um yes of course and then naturally and then um i mean i always remember one um one thing we, we had in a in a change management class in during the mba the guy put some statistics out there and say you know what when so the the, the high level is change is the hardest thing in the world mm-hmm. but then he put in the context where out of 100 people that goes to the doctor and the doctor is telling them hey if you don't change this you're gonna die in the next one two years how many actually are able to change less than five percent yeah less than five percent so change (laughs) i'm not sure we are hardwired you mentioned about the hardwire this is how our brain works if in the morning i need to go there and and make my coffee is very hard if i've been doing that for 30 years yeah if my doctor is telling me that you know what you need to stop that yes my conscious brain says yes i need to freaking stop that but on but the we're, other we're side, it's, of habits, exactly, yeah. exactly. And even, probably the, the habit bit, it's it's something that brought us here. Mm. Operations and everything, companies and everything that we do, it's kind of in a habit day by day. If we're not, if I need to think every day, what am I doing minute by minute? Oh my goodness, I'll be that. It's, it's, I need my routine there. Yeah. Again, okay, inside those two hours, I'm doing whatever, inside two hours, whatever. But then the overall, I need the routine. So we are a creature of habits. So therefore, changing that, it's, it's bloody hard. And yes, totally agree with you. And when, when I was first getting in, into those teams, trying to, I mean, I I never, probably that helped me a lot in terms of, I, I don't think that anybody would have seen me at any one moment, like, okay, very, 
you know, cocky guys coming here, there, I know everything, and I, I, I don't have that attitude by, I don't know, by, um, by formation or, or by nature. Mm. Uh, so that helped me to go in a team and try to learn from them and yeah. try You're to be exploratory, able... right? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And and the thing like this, I was coming from a technical background, never lived in the UK. So right now I need to go in a team that most of them were UK natives. Most of them were actually having five, 10 years worth of car insurance experience. Mm. How on earth can I go there and say, guys, let me tell you how to do things? No, maybe in my head, I couldn't have justified that any one moment. So this is why probably that helped me, this kind of attitude that you mentioned. Okay, I'm here to try to learn from you. Try to learn what you're doing. This is a rotational process. It's what we do right now. Okay, we try to learn from this. If I can help in any way, by all means, let me help. If not, okay, let's uh, let's see how it is. Mm. Um, and... Funny enough, sometimes it's not doing anything and not changing anything. Sometimes it's the best way to to yeah. think, do things. It's not like you always find, or at least I, I always found it is like, okay, oh, yeah, you need to go there and I need to improve things. Mm. But a lot of times, improving things, yeah, you might improve things by two percent, but the effort that goes in that two percent is completely bananas, and yeah, yeah it's, the, it's the more, chances to get it is like. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and sometimes and, just being there and taking the time and spending the time with the team um, and the people and just saying, right, you know, what is it that you need? How do you do your job and all that? Suddenly results get better just by having that presence. And and I've had that before in gigs where I've then, you know, given, you know, sat down with a, an update with, with the, the people who hired me. And it's like, well, productivity is up results are up like you've done a fantastic job thank you very much and i'm thinking i haven't fucking i'm just doing discovery i haven't fucking done anything but it's because they don't have that support they have no one that's ever asked them how do you do your job how is your day going and that was all that was needed i'm like okay fine they give me my check i'm going <laughs> but um but yeah i mean i think it's also down to the fragility of ego too like you mentioned about habit yeah, that, that i think that's a part of it but also like with the doctor you know example again you know if the doctor says to you um, you know, you, you need to stop drinking coffee, um, it's killing you, um, and you need to stop now, otherwise you'll be dead in two years. Well, then I think there's parts of us that sort of, it feels a little bit hurt by the fact that we have made a wrong decision for so long. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we, we think we make good decisions as people, and we, it's very difficult for us to admit we've done something wrong as, as people too. That's definitely hardwired in us too. So there's some element of like, I think having to take uh, ownership of what we've done or our behaviors that's very difficult for a lot of people to swallow um, and I think that plays a huge factor because if then if you change that thing you are admitting to everyone that you have been doing something wrong like I shouldn't have been drinking coffee but I have for 20 years you know what I mean and so and of, of course it gets more complicated with more types of behavior like obesity for example having to admit that eating whatever you want for however many years was a stupid mistake. Well, that means then for the last 20 years, I was stupid. And that's a very difficult thing to reconcile because that doesn't mean that, but that's how it can feel, right? You know, in a behavior that's that's been going on for so long. So it's, it's interesting psychologically, very interesting psychologically. Can be in a, that, that, that's a very good, um, very good thought in terms of, Yes, fundamentally acknowledging that my decisions actually brought me into this place, wherever right. is that place where I need to change. 
that is very hard to solve for somebody with a big ego and in general as you as with humans and yeah, anyone, yeah because it takes a, a considerable amount of um of self-awareness to to come up with that conclusion to to look back at things and and say okay well those decisions i've made led me to this point so it's myself that i have to acknowledge and, and it's funny because of the vast amount of founders that i speak to especially all those in senior positions of business tend to have a, a significantly higher amount of self-awareness um than than other people i've found you know generally and I, and I wonder if there's a correlation between that and the ability to lead people i think i feel like there must be a, a good correlation there for sure it is and for sure i've seen it in admiral in terms of people with 20 years worth of experience in car insurance were actually asking people with zero experience in car insurance about things and what can we do better and what do you like here and and, and those kind of things and they were actually paying attention mm. and that was probably one of the things so those people actually they are not if you aren't overconfident and they are not like yes i know everything and it's mm -hmm. very easy when you are very well known i mean mckinsey is writing report about reports about admiral being the leading company in the world in terms of pricing mm -hmm. so it's very easy to say you know what i've been the one doing the pricing in admiral i know everything why on earth do i need to bother to ask somebody about this yeah, yeah. no i haven't seen that and yes they were actually asking the questions and they are open-minded and say okay trying to to understand different views there and i think mm -hmm. that this yeah you mentioned about this kind of always into the you know challenging my beliefs and say maybe there are other ways and and be open-minded say okay that's not exactly okay that's my that's my idea and because it's my idea it needs to be perfect yeah right yeah. complacency uh, is the most dangerous thing in, in in life i think and in business and yeah getting complacent with the fact that you think that you know what there is to know about something is is incredibly dangerous but but then equally it's it's a, it's a double-edged sword isn't it because if it, at the same time you do need to have confidence in your ability and your skill and your experience so you don't want to always be second guessing yourself so it's it's about finding that balance between um you know being confident in your abilities understanding that not you don't need to listen to every opinion on certain things because there are some opinions that just aren't as valuable as others but still listen uh, you know to a degree um but then you know trying to, to 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 identify new information is sometimes quite difficult isn't it like especially if you're not in a in a situation where you're you're exposed to it a lot um that's very difficult but um yeah and what you mentioned as well another thing that w was really interesting that you mentioned was about how uh if if as a 20 something year old you go into a job and you're just sort of head down just getting on with the role how quickly you can isolate yourself from everything right from growth from opportunity from so on that's something i see time and time again actually so a lot of the uh, pro bono work i do is for young entrepreneurs so people who are thinking of business ideas so they might be in their 20s or something maybe you know in doing internships or, or just out of university or whatever and they are quite often in that situation they're like i'm in a dead-end job i'm sick of it I want to get and first of all i'm like well dude you're only fucking 20 calm down but 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 also like i'm like well what are you doing in your work like you know do you have friends there do you have people you speak to do you socialize with them do you you know are you are you actually creating your opportunities because that's what it comes down to no one's going to hand you anything you know, and I think that's what the misconception is for a lot of people these days. You know, not just young people, but people in general. They think, well, if I work hard, I'll get promoted. No, you won't. 
<laughs> that's not, I used to think like this 20 years ago. Right? Right? That's not how it works, man. Yeah. Like, people don't get promoted because they're the hardest working. They get promoted because they're the fucking loudest. Like, that's <laughs> why they get, they're the loudest about how much work they do. And they might be doing a very small amount of work compared to you. But they talk about the work that they do and they, they they tell everyone that will listen and they go to the drinks with the managers and they like hang out at the, the smoking area with the, the senior vice president and, you know, they all that sort of shit, you know. So that's where they get promoted. That's why the saying is it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? <laughs> that's what it comes down to. Um, and so that's what I say to them. I'm like, okay, well, next time, if you, you know, start start working on these relationships, start talking to your coworkers. And beyond that, if you have a great idea, don't just sit on it, present it. You know, go to them with a new client, even though you've not been asked to. Just do it. So what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get fired. All right. So what? There's another job like where you can sit and be miserable, you know, but you've got to create these opportunities, you know? So yeah, I, it just made me think of, of all of these people I speak to when you mentioned that. Um, Indeed, that <laughs> this part of, uh, of communication and this is, I mean, Henry always used to say that uh, you can almost never over communicate. And one of his pillars. Oh, you haven't, you haven't met my son. Communication, communication. <laughs> <laughs> he over communicates. That boy never shuts up. There is such thing as over communication. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's good. Then I, uh, you'll need to introduce us then. But yeah, the, the, this kind of. Um, striking that balance between yes of course you need to be productive in your work mm. you need to build a relationship you need to be mindful of who's doing what and what are the most interesting bits and of course build those those relations um and yes those are are contraintuitive mm. we think that yes we we go in a job and we are and we want to be the best of whatever we are doing there um and this is how we get promoted and it might be the case that there are some niches i don't know if you are a brain surgeon for example probably if you actually go there day by day and actually you deliver results in your in your job probably you advance in your career as medical professional not exactly running a hospital that's a different story but actually you'd be seeing but there are very small... I, I would probably guess not i would say probably not i would say even then it's still about who you know you still need to go more probably to dinners with other surgeons and you probably still need you know what i mean you probably still need to meet these people who own the private hospitals so you can get offered that job for the private gig that's going to pay twice as much and you know what i mean i think it's still just people it's it's relationships it's probably all it is that's a good I mean, point. even like that yeah <laughs> even getting the job as a surgeon like i you know there there are people out there who spend you know 8 9 you know 10 whatever years it is studying and getting a job in a desirable hospital as a doctor or surgeon or whatever it might be is difficult because that's a, that's a gamble you know after spending all that money and then they can go and work in a place that is hardly paying them anything um and again if you want to get the good jobs you need to know people you know it's like the same as anything you've just got to you've just got to talk to people and build relationships indeed and it's you, you see and it, it's funny that um i i don't know here in, in the uk but in romania we we never had the a class or a course or anything in terms of networking and building relations and mm. and anything like this i mean i remember in in the mba we had one day 
of networking. They say, no, this is how you do networking. And they, there was a guy there, an expert in networking, and actually that guy taught us the basics of networking, the fundamentals, the, you know what this is when you get in a room, this is how you spot different um, different groups, this is where you go, and, and so on, all, all of those kind of things. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that this is, an, you don't need to be like a, a semester, a term class or whatever, it's just yeah. get one day where you get everybody there and yeah you learn the basics of it and go and practice and then of Talk course a lot of opportunities to yeah. talk to people and uh, exactly. and, and, and do it um, get comfortable being uncomfortable that's my favorite expression <laughs> i think you know because you have to be uncomfortable for it before you can get comfortable in situations that's just the yeah. way it is but it's just so tempting to not put yourself in uncomfortable situations because they're uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> right no one wants to purposely do that but it's an, i think an incredibly important way to learn you know it's like my son he's he learns all different kinds of things and uh, I, I say to him again and again where he's getting frustrated or when he's getting annoyed with something i'm like good you're learning yeah. <laughs> and he's like yeah because he, he gets it now because if i i'm like a parrot so i've repeated it to him many times <laughs> you know i said if you're uncomfortable if you're getting frustrated it means something is going in because you're figuring it out and that's frustrating mm. sometimes you know but look i just realized the time uh, i can't believe oh, okay it. yeah it's like i told you man yeah. like when we first spoke it just goes so quickly we could probably keep going but um but yeah as we're coming to the end there is something i, I like to do really quickly and look we've we've already talked about lots of things that are probably going to be useful for people listening but i like to end it with just maybe two or three tips or one even tip that you might have that you want to give to the people listening who are mostly entrepreneurs and founders, you know, to be honest, who are listening, um, that maybe, yeah, things that you've learned, what would, what part words of wisdom would you offer to those listening? So if we are talking about purely entrepreneurs, that actually they are doing their, their do there, probably one of my, my biggest realization and my, and this kind of, uh, you know, uh, amazing skills it is this kind of transposing a, a huge vision which is that castle that i was mentioning about but in the same time trying to design the tent the first things that you need to put out there to validate your castle i i i, I cannot stress that enough and i'm sure i mean it's not me saying this there are many many mm. authors and many many very well regarded people saying this but I think that we, we tend to fall in love with our idea, with our solution, with that, that huge castle with all of their design there. That's a solution for a problem. I don't know what's the problem, but that's a solution for the problem. And we tend to fall in love with the solution because it's in our head, it's in our baby, and we design it and we, we want to do it as perfect as we can. I always say, you know, fall in love with the problem and not, again, not me. That is from <laughs> many, many years of experience also. Fall in love with the problem. Yeah, be very clear on the problems that you solve, but be very flexible on the ways that you solve that problem. And it might be the case that you actually end up having that huge castle that you have it in your mind. Mm. Start somewhere. Start something that you can do today. And in anything... I think that in anything in this world, even in those kind of rocket science type of life sciences and, and everything, it can be and it should be something that you can do today to validate that huge problem and get more insights about that huge problem and try to design your tent in a way that again, they can use it to an extent. And even if it's just a fake use, if 
if it's something there that actually for regulation you cannot put live make it like like a tent again like, like a virtual tent make something that they can use in a close simulation as live uh, live example and then you learn from from them using that that tent. um that i think that it's my my number one thing and my number whenever i'm talking to to myself first and then also mm. to, to other founders is are you uh, are you very clear okay the the problem and the the, the huge castle but are you very clear on the first steps that you can actually take right now mm. to validate that and again a lot of, of founders are finding themselves struggling to actually put up that first step to say oh but yep. Can I actually do this? Oh, I need funding. I need 500k in funding to actually build an app. So why do you need an app? Let's let's try to get three steps before that app that you want to build. Mm. To put up a website, it's a 50 pounds, 100 pounds type of effort. Put it there. Put something. Validate your solution first. So, mm. yeah, that yeah. is my my one <laughs> one great. word of will. Of no, it's great, great advice, and and uh, yeah, you echo exactly what I say to people all the time, and what I do with a lot of people I speak to. You know, I give them, I try and help them find those first steps because I think you're right; it's very difficult, and it can be very paralyzing if you're in love with your idea. In some ways, you want to be validating the problem, not the solution, right? But if you're if you're trying to validate the, your solution, well, then you're always going to get it validated. Who's going to buy us? Every every bit of data you get, right? But to validate a solution, you you won't you won't bias it. I'm um, sorry, yeah, the, the problem, then you won't bias it. Yeah, very good advice. Very good advice. Well, look, man, we've got to end it there. But um, yeah, like I said, we could keep going, so we'll definitely have to do this again uh, uh, in future. And I'd love to hear what else you've managed to accomplish with the business and the the new parts of that puzzle you started putting together. Um, but it's it's really exciting. I'm I'm really excited for you. So I, I really hope it continues to go well and things continue to grow. Perfect. Thanks a lot for this. Thanks a lot for the invitation. And frankly, you are doing a, a very good job uh, here with uh, inviting founders and allowing us to to share our experience and learn from each other. Uh, because, yeah, it uh, goes back to the, the storytelling, no? Yeah. You always exactly. learn more from uh, from somebody else's stories and uh, yeah. trying to see what resonates with, uh, with you or not. So, again, thanks a lot for putting up the effort. And it's not easy to actually run know. a show like this. So, uh, oh, well, I find <laughs> it easy because of guests <laughs> like you make it easy, right? Because uh, of, <laughs> I, I've been very fortunate with you and all my other guests that are just lovely people and interesting people. So, I find it easy. It's not work. It's definitely a hobby. I enjoy right. doing it. Way too kind. <laughs> right. so it's true. It's true. So thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words, and, uh, and and I'm glad to hear that. So that's that's the goal. So I'll continue to do it and share your story and everyone else's because I think that's how we that's how we best learn, right? So thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, yeah, keep in touch. We'll speak soon. Thank you. You too. Cheers. Cheers. Take care. Bye, bye. Thank you for watching and/or listening. Please like, subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below.